Well, I'm really grateful now for mental health professionals who are offering free guidance like psychologist Dr. Susan Kabuli from here in Lancaster. She's been a help to me in the way that she integrates psychological and Christian spiritual help, especially in these times that we're in. And a question that Susan or Dr. Kabuli asks in one of her videos has got me thinking. And here it is. How are you and I to go through this pandemic so that in the other end, we don't end up more exhausted, but we are able to open ourselves up to rest more in God's presence? How are we to go through this pandemic so that we don't end up more exhausted, but instead we're more able to rest in God's presence? A great question. And when I look around, I realize it's a needed one because I see how many of us are under significant stress or just lack rest, that we don't schedule frequent breaks or take time to be refreshed. And as a consequence, maybe we're acting illogical. We're making poor decisions, even alienating people in key relationships, and just plain missing opportunities and overlooking obvious trends around us. So rest for people who work hard and play hard is what I'm calling this message. And it's because it describes not only who I am, what I need, but who many in our church are and what I think we need. See, when we work and we give 110% from sunup to sundown, we're all in, not only at work, but also in play. How many of us are using this time right now to get stuff done in our homes and our yards? We play hard even as families by spending time for the benefit of our kids and grandkids. Nothing wrong with it. But what does it look like for us to go through this pandemic, whether we're working hard or playing hard, so that we don't end up on the other end just more exhausted? But what would it look like for us to get more established in God's rest in a way that you and I are more readily able to turn to God, a God who is trustworthy, a God who is faithful, and trust in the strength, the provision, and guidance that He generously offers us. Would you imagine with me what difference it would make if we opened ourselves up to rest more in God's presence? How many of us have had too many things going on? or have an ongoing feeling of never catching up. Think of how much lighter and less burdened we would be if we didn't carry the excessive burden of believing that we should know more or do more or be more. Could it be that even the people who look at us in the church would see something new and different? What if they saw in the church the longing that's in their hearts for rest in the season of crisis. Instead of looking at following Jesus as just a lot of work that requires effort and perfection that may look unnecessary to them, what if they saw people who were tired like them because we're human, but have also found a place to lay down their burdens? What if they saw a people who were embracing their limitations and at peace. The people who are imperfect like them, but who aren't busy trying to hide it or look like they've got it together. 
So let's learn from someone who learned the hard way to rest when they hit the wall of burnout. A person like us who worked hard and played hard. A person who didn't have the word rest in his vocabulary until he came to the end of himself. When he recognized that by refusing to rest, he was declaring, I'm stronger than God. And yet he discovers the hard way that God is entirely capable of running the universe and leading his people without him. I'm talking about Elijah in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, and how he became acutely aware of his vulnerabilities when he was in need of rest. See, like us, he'd been working hard, even in his spare time. And when he thought his work was finished and that everything would get better, instead, after climbing hill after hill after hill, he realized over the hill, there's still another one. In fact, there are mountains to climb. It was never ending. What he thought was going to be a sprint to the finish line had turned into a marathon where the finish line just kept moving further and further away from him. Can you relate to that? Maybe right now you're a student or a parent and it feels, or a teacher, it feels like you're counting the days till summer break. Or a small business owner or employee who's trying to adapt to the ever-changing precautions and norms and what the public expects. So we find here in this story in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, a story of rest. So would you go there in your Bibles if you need to just pause. See, Elijah has found out that Queen Isabel has put out a contract on him after her husband Ahab complained. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. He was about to get in the words of the mafia, hit, whacked, burned, iced, or popped. And so the prophet runs away to save his life. What is his reaction in verse 3? Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He became so afraid that he traveled the length of Israel in one day. 100 miles doesn't seem like much to us today if we're driving by car, but if you're on foot on ancient paths that curve and go up and down, what it was a long journey. And what made him run was he was afraid. His reaction to the news was that he was as good as dead. So Elijah becomes fearful. The day after, he's standing on top of a mountain where God showed his power in one of the most awesome displays of power in the entire Bible. This is the same prophet who had told a widow and her son not to fear when they ran out of food and he asked them to make him their last meal. See, faith had always had the upper hand for him. But all that changed when a simple message was delivered to him. A messenger whose single aim was to strike fear in Elijah's heart changes his vision. Did you know our vision has a lot to do with how we go through this pandemic? Our vision can make the difference between ending up more exhausted or 
more able to open ourselves up to God's presence. Retired National Geographic photographer DeWitt Jones has said, our vision controls our perception and our perception becomes our reality. So which vision is controlling your perception? And how is that perception shaping your reality? I don't know how many people are choosing right now to limit or cut off the amount of news that they digest on a regular basis. They become wise to the messengers who spread fear. And they've decided that they'd rather be less informed than filled with terror. See, they're choosing a different vision to control their perception. Fear wasn't Elijah's only problem. So read what he did at the end of verse 3 and in verse 4 of 1 Kings 19. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. What does he do? He's taken a trip across country with a young servant walking by his side or maybe even running. They're moving at quite a pace. But for some reason, he decides to leave his servant behind. And over the course of a full day, he walks alone in the hot sun. Now, was it because he was heading into the desert and didn't want to subject this young person to the dangers of the wilderness? Was it because he believed that he was the last in a dying breed of prophets that had all been wiped out? No explanation is given. See, no one ever told Elijah that doing ministry together is much more enjoyable and effective if you're doing life together as well. You know, there's been a lot of talk in this quarantine about those who are going through it alone. Maybe you're one of them. Each of us knows someone who's alone right now, whether they're a grandparent, a parent, a sister or brother or child. I know someone who's fighting depression who lives alone. They're very low. And this quarantine has taken a toll on them. So I want you to picture Elijah who can relate because he's alone in the desert. There he stands in a place of great thirst in the midst of a wasteland of shattered rock, dust, and sand, ruled by the sun and inhabited only by scorpions and lizards. The ground was rough and uneven, treacherous underfoot. It would be like walking across an endless field of broken bricks with nothing else around for miles in any direction. So look what he does in verse 4. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. See, on Elijah's road to rest, he stumbles. How many of us can relate? We've not been patient at home. Our own failures as people have become much more apparent as we've been spending this time. Or we've spent too much time on items delivered to our door. Our spouse's idiosyncrasies had gotten on our nerves and we responded poorly. 
We daily seek to follow Jesus, but we know we're doing it imperfectly. Is anyone there? Well, we're in good company because Elijah was a mighty prophet who encouraged the faith of the entire people. And yet when he heard the message, your good is dead, he announces it's over. Elijah quits. How many feel like quitting? He tells God it's too much, that he's had enough, and that in his words, he's as good as dead as his ancestors and fellow prophets already are. See, in his perception, he has no distance left to run. He's at a dead end. He figures, I got to die sometime. It might as well be now. It's a remarkable thing that the man who was never to die, says Charles Spurgeon, the man who carried was carried to heaven in a chariot of fire, never to see death, should ask God to take his life. Which is why it's even more remarkable that God meets him in his exhaustion. See, what happens to Elijah gives me hope that I will not end up more exhausted but able to open myself up to rest in God's presence. You can read about it here in verse 5. Because it says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. Elijah collapses, exhausted. He literally throws himself down in the ground. And there in the shadow of a solitary broom tree, he experiences rest in God's presence. He doesn't necessarily even see God's hand. But God is there in his moment of greatest failure. The angel of the Lord stirs him awake. He wakes up from a deep sleep and God meets him in a really unusual way. Have you ever experienced God meeting you in a deep need through the most unlikely of people, places, or things? Well, this is what happens to Elijah when the angel chooses to use, of all things, a broom tree to take care of Elijah. Now, the broom or juniper tree was a bush whose limbs grow straight up like a broom standing on its end. Now, the broom tree offers very little shade, but its oil-rich branches and roots make excellent fuel and charcoal. And the thick roots travel deep into the ground and offer both water and fire. So, when Elijah awakens, he sees where his head was, a flatbread already baked on hot stones and a jar of water. What does he do? He eats and drinks before lying down again. He's tired. What does Elijah do in the presence of God? <laughs> the presence of the angel of God? Does he read his Hebrew Bible? Does he pray? No, he does the simplest of things. He rests and he eats. Look what comes next in verses 7 through 9. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So we got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the, that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, 
There he went into a cave and spent the night. The angel of the Lord comes again, and this time he speaks to Elijah, Get up and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Look at the way God provides. He knows what's ahead. The prophet has a difficult road ahead of him. He's, he'll be too tired to travel without adequate sustenance. And so he wakes up, he eats and drinks, and he's refreshed and given strength to go how far and how long? To walk 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, further south in the Judean wilderness. God, in the midst of his burnout, leads him back to deeper dependency, and he'll meet you. And whatever you're going through, he'll lead you back to resting in his presence. Now, Elijah learned that the kingdom of God goes on without him. <laughs> he could do his best, which he did at Mount Carmel right before this, and then he takes a nap here in the wilderness. Knowing that God was good with it and with him, he rested and he ate. He let go and really trusted God to build his kingdom and care for the urgent needs around him. There's a rest for people who work hard and play hard. And you know where it's found? It's found in the God of rest in Hebrews 4, who invites you and me to enter his rest with these words. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. So would you stop all paid and unpaid work, even if your mind is racing with all the things that you have to do? Would you slow down with me to acknowledge God and allow yourself to focus on Him as you enjoy His gifts of rest and food? And may God give us kingdom wisdom to respond to His calling to not only rest, but to live out the kind of rest that our world is longing for. May this be what happens in our lives in the week ahead.